0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another Buffalo TechCast, where we talk to founders and funders about the startup ecosystem here in western New York. We'll get to the program in a second, but first, make sure you subscribe to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. (music) Okay, everybody, today we're talking to Christian Bach, who co-founded the company Bach USA with his parents and his sister, and in a series of unlikely steps, ended up headquartering that company in Buffalo, and subsequently garnering a $5 million investment, uh, equity investment from Tom Golisano to fuel its growth. Bach USA builds tablets and computers for business-to-business applications, and that includes everything from public safety to schools, and it has pioneered a model where the devices are assembled in the United States. The plan is to establish operations such as the one that currently exists in Buffalo all over the country. Good things are happening at Bach, on which I'm sure we'll make sure to update you um, when there are substantive things to say about that, uh, and I'm sure there will be over the coming months and years. But today's uh, feature really focuses in on Christian, who functions as the company's chief technology officer. He was born in Copenhagen, Denmark, has lived in London and in Haiti, has a bachelor's degree in history and human complex systems from UCLA, and both a master's and a PhD from the University of Cambridge. Christian talks here about how his background, from globe-trotting child and teenage years to a prestigious degree in history, degrees I should say, in history, have affected his philosophies regarding both management and his outlook on technology. What does that sort of globetrotting, uh, you know, childhood, teenage existence do to somebody? How many, you must know a variety of different languages. Yeah. What, is that, what does um, that make in a 20-year-old? I, I
1: think it, I think it shapes, obviously it shapes your worldview in a very unique and hopefully interesting way, right? Um, I, I speak Danish, French, and and English, uh, French being obviously the lesser of those, those three. Um respect for other people's opinions, right? Because your own opinion is going to change so much throughout your life. Um, the idea that there's sort of a static point of view uh, is completely foreign to me because I've had to adapt to new cultures. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe 10 plus times in my life, completely new cultures where I was very much the outsider. Um, and the process of assimilation kind of forces you to actually go through your Let's say philosophical view on life, uh, and and question it, and say, hey, you know, here's this other point of view that is very much the norm in this new space that I'm in. Is my preconception of of you know whatever issue it is that 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 is uh, being questioned at that point, is that okay? And you constantly have to be introspective, and then you also at the end of the day, you also have to kind of get into a space where you say, this is who I am, and I'm very happy about these parts of me, and I don't want to change them. So when I came to California, obviously all my friends were surfing, all of them were were skaters. Um, So I took on those, uh, those hobbies, but also those lifestyles in many ways. Whereas I came from Denmark with very much like a soccer passion. Uh, By the time I got to high school, all of a sudden there was a flip, right? Where all of a sudden I I said, hey, actually my European heritage is something that's very dear to me and I want to, accentuate that i want to make sure that that's not something that's lost on my personality so i kind of reverted back and, and and became even more impassioned with with those kinds of sports and the kind of music and that kind of cultural heritage that i that i got from you know growing up in europe
0: you obviously did well enough at uh, ucla to get into a uh, prestigious you know from an international perspective uh master's degree but who majors in history <laughs> Weirdos.
1: I mean, so, or people who don't know what they're supposed to do with life, right? Um, Which means that they're probably, again, weirdos, right? Um, uh, But lovable weirdos. I think history majors are typically people who enjoy the sort of the exploratory part of studying, right? Because you're always looking for new new twists to the story. You're looking for a, a new narrative. You're looking for a new perspective. And it really demands of you to be very... Um, so not just cerebral, but really to always question whatever it is that um, that is considered to be the norm. Right. So uh, as a historian, your job really is to go and be an investigative journalist of the past right? and then also to kind of flip that on its head and say, all right, so now based on those um, those findings and those new kind of points of view, how can we use that in a productive way to predict the future? So it's, it's kind of interesting because it's very much a, a combination of you have to be in, incredibly uh, uh, judicious. You have to really sit down and spend unbelievable number of hours reading and, and digesting information and taking copies and of notes and, and really being very diligent in that process. But then you also have to have a very creative mind where you can say, all right, now based on all of this data that I've collected, how can I use that in a creative and, and um, innovative way to actually make meaning out of it and to make it so that people will want to listen to me when I present this and put it into a more modern context? So it's a, I think that it actually, um, whilst uh, you know, a lot of people who major in history as undergrads go on to study law, which was what I was going to do, actually, um, I do think that there's a rare combination of skills that are necessary for those who are really successful in the history field, because you have to be at once very creative, but also very uh, facetious when it comes to your attention to detail and your command of facts. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of rare actually. And, and, but when you see it being done well, it's, it's obvious that those are two of the, the almost conflicting skills um, that need to come together in, in a truly successful historian, you know, talking about uh, the influences from a managerial perspective. He, he always let us do whatever we, we want to do. He understood that, look, everybody's going to be different. Some people are going to want to um, stay at school and sit in their dorm room and, and grind it out. Other people are going to want to go to the library. Other people are going to want to travel and do other things. As long as the work got done, he didn't really care how we got there. Um, and I think that's something that's influenced me, particularly today, um, where... You know, when we talk to to our colleagues at staff meetings, I I don't really want to know how you got it done. I just care about the the work was accomplished effectively. Um, So it's kind of, you know, that influence certainly carries through through today. You know, for us, the fact that we were able to get a local investor who is himself invested personally in the community um, and who cares about Buffalo, really, really cares about Buffalo um, is an integral part. You know, I, I always look at kind of what would life have been like if we had, had we gone to the, you know, to the valley and, and, uh, and you know, Tom would probably have been a BC instead of, of uh, a private investor and life would have looked very different for us. Um, and I think that for this model to work, there has to be a lot of patience on the, our investors side. Um, this is not a short-term project. This is a very long-term project. And for it to be successful, I think that the metrics that we use to gauge how we're
0: doing in the health of the company have to be long-term, um, which is really important. So, Christian, you're the co-founder and the director of products. What is the director of products? Um, so, so we just switched titles. Okay. Uh, so, now it's chief technology officer. Okay. Um, but,
1: you know, in effect, it's the same role. All right. uh, really, my job is to uh, kind of... Be the ultimately responsible person for our technology roadmap, right? Which means that uh, I look at new to emerging technologies, try to figure out uh, where uh, those technologies can positively influence our portfolio, um, and and try to really kind of engage uh, with new companies that also have you know aligned services, and say, hey, how can we include your uh, your know how, your programs? your applications into our package and then provide a total solution for our end users. You know, we, we serve increasingly uh, in a consultative role to our clients where people come and say, Hey, we love, we love your product. We love the hardware. We love how you build it. We love how you support it, but we have XYZ problem that we can't quite overcome. So could you tell us, you know, is are there any preferred uh, software vendors that we should be working with, say from a point of sale point of view or, um, you know, inventory management or uh, teaching solutions or whatever it may be. So it's it's important for us to really stay up to date. You know, we're in Buffalo and yeah, we may be a little bit on a fringe city in terms of technology. You know, we're not in the center of the of the belly of the beast. But I I still think that there's a responsibility from our side to be up to date and to really know as much as what's going on and what's coming. Um, as any company that was in, you know, say, Austin or Silicon Valley or up in Seattle.
0: What are the skill sets uh, that are required to both understand this broad and rapidly changing landscape and also to communicate them to, um, to a team of people here uh, so that they can, they can understand what you're saying and then apply it to their distinct roles?
1: Um, my God. Uh, again, mass amount of information gathering, you know, it's a tor- there's a torrent of info coming our way uh, in terms of new emergent technologies uh, solutions that work or don't work. um, What are the different options? I mean, again, this is a, this is a a land of plenty uh, and it's almost uh, uh, to use a a kind of a a intelligence uh, term. There's so much noise, right? There's not a whole lot of signal. Um, There's uh, I think there's so many particularly because of the, um, the rapid expansion of the app ecosystem. There are so many different solutions that all claim to do, firstly, marvelous things, but also kind of the same thing. So to be able to weed that out and say, hey, actually, these are the technologies we need to focus on, and this is the reason why, that can be very challenging. How, uh, how do you do that? Um, so you have to assess them on their own merit, right? And and you kind of have to be the gatekeeper. Um, so. A lot of times, you know, we'll get approached by a million different companies with their solutions. They'll email us and say, hey, you should you should look at us and you should try to integrate us into your larger portfolio. Um, And, you know, I can't spread that out to the team members that we have on staff because it's just going to become a dizzying situation for them. Um, and I think that there needs to be some like overall strategy behind it. And I think going forward, there'll probably be a whole division devoted just to doing that. Um, but obviously for now it's, it's just me. Um, and I think that the role really requires, um, a lot of honesty, you know, to say, Hey, look, this is the reason why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and it makes sense. Uh, and, uh, and, and a lot of trust as a result, right? where with the team members have to say, okay, I get it. You know, I, I may have my own personal opinion on a subject matter, but I also don't spend every day all day kind of looking at the larger picture. Um, so I'm going to follow
0: you on this one, which is really cool. Christian, say you sort through all of this information. You use your, uh, you know, your energy for research and your intellect to uh, make a decision about a piece of technology or some software or a solution or something that really needs to be part of what Bach produces. How do you go about communicating that? How do you communicate with the people you manage? Um, So we do, obviously, a lot of stand-up
1: meetings. Um, We also happen to work in uh, a very confined area. So it's very much kind of they see me do that work. Um, And then also, by the way, I think probably the most effective method is to bring them in on customer-facing meetings, right? So we like to have our engineers as a part of the client-facing setup. Um, And there's probably no more powerful way that I can come up with, at least, of making a point clear in terms of, you know, this is the direction that we want to go. Let's just take an example. We want to use active pens rather than uh, capacitive pens, right? Then hearing a a, uh, a teacher say, you know, the fact that we're using an active pen is brilliant for our students and it's really helping them with their handwriting skills. You know, that that is very much something that you can hold on to. And, and for the engineering perspective, it makes it all come together. Um, and that's our probably our greatest advantage of being here in Buffalo is the fact that we can sit with our customers, we can query them, and then more, more importantly, we can listen to them. Um, and we can hear what works and what doesn't work. And because we're small and we're nimble and we're agile, you know we can make those rapid changes to our products um, you know in in, the, in a mere matter of months rather than years, in uh, sometimes even weeks. Um,
0: Christian, do you wish that your academic profile would have included something like, computer science or engineering or maybe like finance or, um, or business in general? Because uh, you're obviously a very quick study. Um, I'm sure you do fine. But I'm wondering if, like you said, the, the, pro- the academic processes are a big part of, uh, you know, majoring in something. Yep. Yep. And uh, so you have a – you're schooled in the processes of history, which you say have really helped – You know, you, you know, in thinking your way through things, but I'm wondering just like if you had to do it over again, would there be any new processes that you learn or capabilities that you'd have? Absolutely. Uh, Without a doubt. Um, I I,
1: almost every day I say to myself, God, I wish I had a, you know, an engineering background or a business background. But at the end of the day, you know, I... uh, the way that we work as a team with with my, with my colleagues, you know, is is one that it's very – it's two-way street, right? So they teach me a lot as much as, as I try to kind of, you know, guide them through um, uh, the overall vision. Um, if I had another 40 years, absolutely. I will also go do consulting, you know. Uh, there's a lot of things that I would love to do. Law, uh, finance, absolutely. Pro soccer? Uh, professional soccer, that would be my first one. Uh, no, at the, at the end of the day, I think that honestly uh, – you know, it's more of a breadth than a depth question. And, and as, as, as your thinking goes higher and higher and higher, it actually is less necessary for you to have that depth and, and more um, crucial to have an understanding of kind of, you know, hey, does this, does this sound right? Is this within the framework of, of reason? You know, uh, are we going down the completely wrong path here? And then letting the people who really understand it, so the double PhDs in electrical engineering, You know, I would never have gotten to that level of understanding and expertise. So you can actually kind of turn it around and say the fact that I recognize and I have to recognize, you know, every day to be brutally honest with myself, that there's a lot of uh, subject areas that I, first of all, don't know much about. I will probably never master them. But because of that, I can rely on the people that do. And I don't kind of say, oh, well, I know what I'm talking about because I you know, had a Uh, an undergrad in, uh, say, computer science, right, Um, I think that the trust relationships grow stronger as a result. And and in a way, um, the people on on the team who are uh, truly masters in that subject area have a louder voice than than if I was to sit there and say, oh, you know, I I studied this as an undergrad and and clearly, you know, going back to electrical engineering one-on-one, I know that this is the way it should be. So I think that you can turn it into a positive, but absolutely. If I had you know another 60 years, I would, I would do all of them, right? Because that's all of those skills are required on a day-to-day basis.
0: Christian, I'm sure you could give me sort of a, an, an immersive business outlook for Bach, given that sure. this is what we do every day. But I'm wondering, what are the personal nodes uh, uh, that will lead to the company's success for the leadership team, which by all accounts include your mom and your dad mm-hmm. and you? What, mm-hmm. what are going to be the things that you have to learn or decide or do as a leadership team to execute on your long-term vision?
1: Very simply put, we have to learn to let go. Um, this thing is going to grow and this thing will grow, uh, so much bigger than us. And it will be increasingly less about us and so much more about the company and, and the overall mission. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. And that is the aim, right? That is the stated aim. And, uh, you know, working with my sister, working with...
0: Um, Your sister too, I forgot to uh, mention. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Eva is, is very much a part of the, of the team, working with her boyfriend, um, Luis. Uh, on a day-to-day basis, you know, slowly the, all five of us are going to start to grow apart a little bit from a professional setting. Because we're going to have so many, um, uh, let's say, our areas of of, um, uh, of focus will shift right, and they'll grow apart. Um, so I think it's it's really going to be a challenge for us to say, hey, look, there will be parts of our business that we, A, know very little about, or maybe even B, didn't even know existed. And that's okay, right? Because we started out as a, what, a team of three people sitting around a kitchen table, uh, which means that we know everything about the company because we were the only people in the company. Um, and as the team expands and as we get new people in, it will become their company. And that's a you know, that's a fantastic thing to see when you see people take ownership and you see them, you know, really bleed and, 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 and sweat for not for us. It's not for us. It's for their company. That's a very cool, um, experience. And it's a very cool realization. And I think that will probably be, it's not going to be, I don't know if it's going to be a challenge, but it will certainly be very different than it is today where we know the names and the backgrounds and the stories and the, you know, personal lives of everybody who works here. Um, literally everybody, um, there will come a time when somebody will say, hey, I, I work for BackUSA, and, and I'll be like, who are you? And that will be cool. I, that's, that's what we want. We want to create a company where people, it's not about, it's not about us as, as individuals. It's about the, the vision and the mission that we created that, that other people can either you know, adopt as their own or be something that they really want to you know, help
0: promote. So for the listener's sake, not too long ago, Damn. you uh, had unveiled or announced or uh, you know, simply communicated that you've gone from being a consumer-facing sort of initial model to more of a selling to businesses. That's exactly uh, right. These computer solutions, I guess you could say, because yep. you sort of disabused me of the idea that it's simply a tablet company and absolutely. that there, there yeah. are computers and tablets and possibly phones on the way. Yep, and, yep. Um, absolutely.
1: Well, and that's just listening to the needs of the market, right? So people really like to have uh, trusted partners in technology. Um, and uh, a lot of our clients have asked for us to kind of be their consultants uh, on what the total solution should look like. Um, probably one of my favorite anecdotes for this was um, a client that we had in Kenya. Um, they were looking to, to buy computers. Um, and uh, and of course, they, they didn't really take into account the fact that Wi-Fi and data in Kenya is very expensive. Um, so they got the computers uh, and they tried to download some programs and they hit their bandwidth limit almost immediately and said, oh, my God, we're paying more money for the data than we did for the computers. So we were able to send them memory sticks with uh, the content preloaded on there so that they could upload it. Now, that's a very simple, rudimentary solution to a much larger problem, which is that of connectivity. Um, But because, you know, they were talking directly with us, and and these were teachers, quite frankly, who had very little understanding of, of kind of what was possible within uh, within the the world of of IT and and and, uh, and classroom ed- uh, technology. Um, you know, we were able to provide a, again a very simple solution, but it was a solution that they would never have thought of. Um, and to be able to, to kind of do that consultative work, I think is is uh, is also, by the way, to kind of circle around is going to be a part of the larger. Um, the larger roadmap for us, right? We want to become a full service um, solution company where uh, the larger companies that we work with are able to rely on us to not only manufacture, deploy, service, end of life, um, all of the products so that, we, that we're that able to provide to them. And it should really be a, a larger portfolio of products. Um, I think going forward, you know, where do we want to be in five years? Uh, all over the country you know I, I think that the the decentralized manufacturing model is the way of the future i think people want to have a personal relationship with technology with the electronics um i think that there will be a totally different level of engagement with uh, these products once people understand not only how they're made but the ways that they could be used um and uh, we have a couple ideas of how to do that with showrooms that really showcase the um sort of um uh, possibilities, right? I think that's something that that particularly Apple did an amazing job at. Um, They did a lot of things brilliantly, but but really, uh, where they stand out to me, not only in the design sphere, but also, in this one, is to show people how to use the devices, right? how to use their products, it's not about the specs, it's not about the number of megapixels, etc. No, it's about the fact that you can take an awesome picture of of something that you want to, you know, uh, memorialize. And this is how you do it. And this is the camera that will let you do it, right? And that to me is is much more impactful and much more effective as a means to kind of lead people to water, if you will. You know, you don't have to force them down that road, but I think that there's a lot of people who are just looking for, hey, teach me, show me what these technologies can do and how they can Impact my life in a positive way. Um, and I think that's something that we want to do increasingly on the B2B side. I think it's been done in the consumer space, but I don't really think yet it's been
0: done um, on the B2B side, particularly in the mobile space. Thanks to Christian Bach for being the subject of this week's Buffalo Tech Cast. Another reminder here to become a subscriber on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And we'll see you again next week for an interview with Algonquin CEO Steve Rains.